When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined as always by Nick Horwat as we kick off Season 4 of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. I know we haven't really been keeping track of episode numbers or anything like that, but both Horwat and I have agreed that this is the official start of Season 4, as it is the official day that training camp begins for the Pittsburgh Penguins. So we will discuss that training camp opening. We'll talk about position battles that you're going to want to keep an eye on for the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk best and worst of the offseason in the second segment. And then we're going to talk about a lineup that Taylor Haas of DK Pittsburgh Sports put out. She said not to take too much into consideration when looking at the lineup. We're going to do it anyway because that's what we do. But thank you so much for tuning in. Season 4, Episode 1, we're not going to count them down like we have in seasons past, but if you're watching us on YouTube at Inside the Penguins, you see we have a fresh graphic setup. If you're listening to the podcast version, you just heard our new intro, we're going to have all new music going through it. So it is a new year, new era of the tip of the iceberg. I'm excited for things to come in Season 4. Season 4, things are getting bigger. Soon enough, we'll be hitting that six seasons in a movie gimmick. (laughs) Um, I don't know what the movie would be, but hey... You know what? It's, it's fun having the show. We've been doing this for a long time now. Like we said, four years. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And are we all excited? I hope we're all excited. We're all tired. I'm tired as hell, but we're going to grind through my uh, lack of sleep into a new training camp, which, like we had already mentioned, me and you will be at training camp for a little bit tomorrow. I think I have to leave a little early, but again, at least I'll be there for a minute, getting in mm-hmm. the sights, getting in the feels, and just enjoying professional hockey being back and not just watching uh, some rookies do good things, but watching the guys that actually mean something to the team this year. And there's going to be plenty of battles. I I know it seems like a lot of the lineup is decided, but there's plenty of position battles to get into it. And we'll start doing that as of right now. I mean, when you look at it, training camp starts today, three weeks away from that opener against the Arizona Coyotes. If you've seen what their projected roster looks like, we said last week that it was like 90% chance the Penguins win. If they do not win on opening day against the roster that that appears to be, it's not going to be a pretty sight in Pittsburgh. But I digress to that point. We don't need to get into that. Training camp is opened at UPMC Lemieux Complex. The first preseason games will happen on Sunday with a split squad scrimmage, basically, against the Columbus Blue Jackets, with one game being at 1 o'clock p.m., one game being at 7 o'clock p.m. We're not going to preview that. 
We're just going to talk about training camp battles. And the one that I want to start with is that fourth line left wing. Because realistically, I think it's down to being between two players. But there are so many other people that are vying for that 13th forward spot that a really good performance by them and a bad performance by somebody ahead of them could net them a spot on the NHL roster to start the season. So when I look at that fourth line left wing, Ryan Paling, obviously just acquired by the Pittsburgh Penguins over the summer. I feel like he could be one of the favorites there. And I think Drew O'Connor is the other favorite to potentially take that spot. Drew O'Connor is an easy one. Uh, Ryan Paling is another easy one. I feel like Ryan Paling might already be in that spot, though. Just already slotted in as that guy because he's the new guy coming in. We like to see what the new guys can do. We acquired him via trade. A pretty substantial one, too. Um, and Drew O'Connor, while as much as we want him to succeed with the Penguins, he hasn't found his legs. And that's kind of hard to battle through, especially in an organization like this where we're fully prepared to just bring in the guy who can do it now, who has his legs, mm-hmm. even if it's coming from somewhere else, like Ryan Paling. So in that situation, between those two specifically, I would lean toward Paling, but that's just me. I mean... It's hard for O'Connor whenever, like I said, it's just a that bit of not inconsistency, but just lack of finding legs at this mm-hmm. level. I think when you saw Drew O'Connor last season, I, if, when you think about it, and I'm surprised when I see it too, that he played over 20 games for the Pittsburgh Penguins last year. I think that is something that needs to be taken into consideration because this coaching staff liked what he's been, and this organization has liked what he is and where he's been at since they signed him in 2020. I mean, this is a guy that got signed and basically immediately started in the NHL that year. Now he got sent down. He's he's only played over 30 games, like just over 30 games in the NHL. But he's a guy that he does the hard work. He can forecheck really well. He can play with speed. He plays physically. And he's a really good, in my opinion, a really good fourth liner because he also brings a scoring touch, which is something that Mike Sullivan players always need to have in their toolkit. So I like Drew O'Connor. I would say he has the leg up heading into camp, even though Ryan Paling was just acquired by the Pittsburgh Penguins. So when I look at this, I I think while O'Connor is probably going to have that spot heading into camp, Paling's not far behind. So that's going to be a real 1A, 1B situation especially today as camp opens in 22 minutes from when we're recording this and as the first weekend progresses to see who goes where on Sunday for the, that split squad scrimmage. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I, it, I'm always curious to see how they split those up, especially considering, I mean, they split up the players for the training camps into three teams that mm-hmm. um, could make things even more interesting when it comes to uh, lineup battles because if you're it's easier to battle for a spot whenever you're battling directly against them and they're not on another rink. So it'll be interesting to see. And I'm really excited to see who plays where in the uh, split squad games. And then going into the full preseason, because you can prove all you want in practice. Don't get me wrong. It's good to have good practices. It's good to have good training camps, but in most normal fans opinions, I feel like that doesn't mean too much until you start producing in game situations. Mm-hmm. You can have you could ball out and practice all you want. But if you can't do it in the game, that doesn't mean anything. So that's what I'll be looking forward to the most in this training camp situation is who plays well where, where did what who gets teamed up where in the split squad games and how good does everyone do? Where's the improvements? Where are the where are the fallbacks? Because I'm expecting a couple fallbacks maybe. Mm-hmm. 
And when you look at the other the other players on that list that could be vying for that spot, there's there's guys that could fall back. I, I mean, Josh Archibald was brought in because of his prior experience with Pittsburgh and because they needed depth guys. They needed those first call-up guys. And Josh Archibald is right on that line. So is Redeem Zahorna. So is Alex Nylander. If you had to guess who's going to get that 13th forward first call-up position, who would you say it's going to be? Because when I look at it, the, the obvious answer is Josh Archibald, but I would not be surprised if Alex Nylander can find his way into that. Alex Nylander, we've been hyping Alex Nylander up this entire time. Hopefully something comes of that. But you also never know. I mean, we talked at nauseum the last couple episodes about these prospects that could fight for a spot like that as well. Uh, Terry Pustin got some time last year. We saw Nathan Lagerre pretty much force, force the hands and force his name back into a conversation to be in those NHL spots as well. Sam Poulin deserves his chance because it's just, it's, it's time now. I think everyone agrees that between some of the names I just mentioned, Sam Poulin can fight for a spot like that. But then there is the Redeem Zahornas, the Josh Archibalds. We continue to bring in not veteran players, but guys that have NHL experience. We continue to have guys that have NHL, NHL experience that keep pushing Sam Poole and Nathan Legray down the totem pole. It's not ideal. So hopefully when it comes to who's fighting for the 13th spot, I hope it's someone new, honestly. I think that's where I want to begin with it. Whereas I don't mind Redeem Zahorna. I think the luster is just kind of worn off for me. Josh Archibald, I kind of don't want to see in this lineup at all. That's just <laughs> yeah. me. But then there are guys, again, Drake Kajula's here. Um, Ryan Paling's in this position. Drew O'Connor's in this position. It'll be interesting mm-hmm. and seeing if Sam Poulin or Nathan Legray can slot in as well. And another name to that list, when you're talking about younger players that could potentially slot into this first call-up situation or a call-up situation, we'll say, is uh, Valtteri Pustinen, who was, by all accounts, him and Philip Hollander were two of the most impressive Penguins at, at rookie camp. So to see what they're able to do to build off of that is something that I'll be looking at when I'm there Friday and on Saturday morning as well. But let's move over to the defensive side because when you look at that defense, five of the six names are pretty much set in stone. I don't know how you feel about Jan Ruda, but I feel like his position in the lineup is pretty secure to start the season. That just leaves that third pairing left defense. Who do you think wins that position at camp? Because right now it's between P.O. Joseph, Ty Smith, and Mark Friedman. And then the other question becomes, what do you do with Chad Ruweedle? Let's start talking about the third pairing defense first. So, uh, yeah, the third pairing defense before I get to Chad Ruweedle because his is pretty easy. Um, it's hard. It You almost feel like the spot should go to P.O. Joseph because of, in much cases like Sam Poole and Nathan Lager, right? it is his time. He has to be in that NHL roster spot to prove he has a career in the league ahead of him. It is more than just playing with the Penguins. It is finding a spot on an NHL team that will keep him around and will actually play him and will utilize him. But then we remember we brought in Ty Smith, who is going to be this resurgence act almost. We're supposed he's supposed to refine that rookie year uh, gusto he had in New Jersey. He's supposed to find that again here this year. Well, he needs to play to do that. Mm-hmm. So it should almost go to him because of that. And then Mark Friedman is there as the extra guy. We have two guys that should have that spot. While this is a good problem to have, it's a difficult one to work out. So overall, I'm just going to have to go with P.O. Joseph just because he feels more deserving within the organization. 
and it feels like it's his time, whereas Ty Smith is the easy one to slot in if things don't work out. Mm-hmm. See, I, I, I'd love to say I'd love to say that P.O. Joseph gets the job done. P.O. Joseph gets that positioning. And when you look at that left side defense, you have Jan Ruda on that right side, who's such a staunch defensive player that when you get a guy on the left side, you want him to be able to move the puck, which I think does rule out Mark Friedman. I'm not sure what the Penguins are going to end up doing with Mark Friedman this season, but I, I don't think he makes the starting six. I don't know if he makes the starting seven. He might be sent down before the waivers take place. I have no idea what's going on with Mark Friedman, but if it's between P.O. Joseph and Ty Smith, I would love to see P.O. Joseph take that spot, but something in me has to disagree. I'm going with Ty Smith in this instance, just because I know that a lot of people are saying, hey, he's a reclamation project. Hey, he's a guy that's coming in to try to just get his feet underneath him again at the young age of 22. He's a guy that started off really, really well, like you mentioned, in New Jersey. But last year, he was playing with P.K. Subban, who is now retired out of the league. Like, this is a player that when he is good, though, he is great. Like, offensively, great. Defensively, there's still things to work on. And Todd Reardon will get the opportunity to work on those said things. But when you look at Ty Smith, I think that marriage with Jan Ruda as a third pairing is so beyond good. I I think that that's going to work out so well. That's such a good matching. And I think that would be good for both Ruda and for Smith. So as much as I would like to say P.O. Joseph... I, I think Ty Smith ends up winning this job. And I can't totally disagree with that either. That's part of the that's part of the good problem here is that I t- can't totally disagree with the answer of Ty Smith either because it's a reclamation project where all the reasons that you just mentioned, now you can also tack on the P.O. Joseph point. Well, you slide him in if things don't work out. So there's mm-hmm. plenty to go off of for both guys, I think. I wouldn't be angry at either answer. Mm-hmm. You know, I can see where people would get up in arms without with not seeing P.O. Joseph make that position, take that position for the reasons of he's been here for a while. It's his turn. He needs to make it to make it into the NHL. Mm-hmm. But if he gets beat out by this kid that is supposed to be also really good and also reclaim his former glory, mm-hmm. well, then you can't be mad at that either because that's better for the team. Yeah, and we're going a little long here on some of these position battles. We'll have to obviously talk about these throughout all of training camp, but I I think at the end of the day, you're okay if P.O. Joseph or Ty Smith wins that battle. If Mark Friedman, or even if Chad Ruedel ends up getting into that lineup, then that means that one of these two guys did not show enough in training camp, and that's not what you want if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins. You want to see either Ty Smith or P.O. Joseph take the reins here and, and earn a spot in the roster and in the lineup for, for October 13th. So before we get head out to the second segment, best and worst of the offseason, basically talking all things Ronnie Hextall, I want to ask you, Horwat, and I'll give my opinion first on this one, who plays on that penalty kill in the forward position? Because we know the defense. It's it's Latang, it's Dumoulin, it's Ruda, and probably, you know, Pedersen played a little bit, not a lot last year. You probably see either Pedersen or Petrie bouncing off on and off that, that third pair or that secondary pair there. But the forward side... Bluger McGinn is obvious. Those two guys are going to have penalty kill minutes. They're going to log the most amount, probably 60-65% of the forward time on the power play. But other than that, Jeff Carter's great at faceoffs. They like using him. 
Ryan Palin coming in, he can kill penalties. He's a big body, maybe be able to move some people out of the way. Drew O'Connor is a guy that we've always said that he needs to add penalty kill to his game. We saw Russ jump into that role when Zach Aston Reese was taken out of the lineup last year and traded. And we've always stated that Kasperi Kapanen needs to finally be used in Pittsburgh on the penalty kill. It's the third season of Cappy back in Pittsburgh. He hasn't been used on the penalty kill, yet he was so good at it in Toronto. It's something we've talked about ad nauseum. So Horwat, when you look at that second line of forward defense or forwards on the penalty kill, who do you think ends up being on that on that unit? It's it, my first answer is going to be Kapanen because we have to put him back there to mm-hmm. gain momentum in his game and succeed in the correct way and boost his numbers everywhere else. Um, it's hard to pick other guys though because you've pretty much listed everyone off. I mean, Zach Asarese was an easy answer. Brian Russ steps in there. Jeff Carter can take faceoffs. I like sliding him into there, despite him probably also being on the second power play unit. It's it's essentially everyone that's not going to be on a power play, but there might be guys doubling up. There might have to be guys doubling up this year because, just to be totally honest, who's going to kill penalties on this team? Danton Heinen's is a name that comes to mind, kind of, no. despite you want him being um, forward-heavy, offense-heavy. Sidney Crosby well, can take face-offs. We've seen him well, do that before. See, you're going down a rabbit hole that I think is just asinine. Like, Sidney Crosby should not play a second of penalty kill time. I don't care what other stars play the penalty kill and it works out, like McDavid because he's so fast. I don't give a crap. Do not play Crosby. Do not play Brian Rust. Don't even play Jeff Carter. I'll get into Carter for a different reason. Do not put Brian Rust on the penalty kill. This is a guy that has averaged a 30-goal season over an 82-game pace over the last three seasons. Why are you putting him on the penalty kill. I hate that. I don't think it should be an option because I do think there are better options in the lineup for this. Kapanen being one of them. That I do agree on. I disagree that Rust and Crosby should ever touch or see the light of day on the penalty kill unless, of course, like you're in the box 15 minutes a game. Then you need to do that just to get Crosby the ice time. But Carter, I think the big thing that you need to do this season with Jeff Carter, because of what you saw last year, shelter his minutes especially early on a little bit because whenever the wheels fall off they completely fall off and doing something as little as using somebody else on that penalty kill no matter how good carter is on the faceoff, maybe use a guy like drew o'connor put him there with kasperi captain you have profit we've seen in this preseason already before tra- practices even taken place ryan paling redeems a horn both starting to play center Those are other options. I I think you need to keep guys like Rust, Carter, and Crosby out of this equation entirely. The issue is that's hard to do because you keep listing off. I keep throwing names at you and you keep shooting them all down. So you're down to no one on the, no one there. I mean, I get what you're saying. You don't want these guys on. I don't want them on either, but we just don't have options. Like I said, like who's going to actually do it. Brian Rust might actually have to be the one stepping in there um, because we don't have someone to fill in. Mm-hmm. The easy one's Bluger McGinn. Boom. Yeah. One, two. There's your first. I mean, Drew O'Connor's fine. Do you want a center on your second uh, second unit there, though? Do you want someone who can actually take and win good face-offs? Because, sure, they're all training for it, but um, Zahorn is not a natural center. Carter's a natural center. Mm-hmm. Um, Kasperi Kapanen's not a natural center, but maybe... <sighs> I don't know who else could be. You know what I mean? We're kind of running low on the idea of who can just – maybe you just uh, 
have someone take a draw and immediately get off if you have that opportunity, given the right, again, situation, opportunity. That's hard. Mm-hmm. That's big braining the lineup now. Yeah, that's but, doing too much. And it is. It is especially doing too much for, what, nine minutes until they drop the puck in camp? Like, it's too much for the moment. Mm-hmm. But we just don't have the options. That's kind of why I was throwing out names like Heinen, because he's not the top-tier goal scorer on this team. I don't know what he's like no. defensively. I don't really remember. No, but he, yeah, that's what I was going to say. He also isn't a guy that can kill penalties very well. Like, I would put Zucker in there over Heinen. And that's just a name we keep forgetting. Jason Zucker is here, too, still. But do you want to wake up his offensive game? You got to put him on the power play. It's not an easy filling out the penalty kill for this Penguins team, which is full of offensive firepower again, somehow, some way. How'd that happen? Um, it's hard to fill out the penalty kill. Mm-hmm. Best idea, quite honestly, is just not take penalties. Well, yeah, in a utopian society where the Pittsburgh Penguins, even though they were the least penalized team in the National Hockey League last season, you still end up on the penalty kill at least once a night. Most of the time, you're averaging like 1.8 penalties per game or something like that. I don't know. You, you take penalties, especially whenever you go against teams like Washington, Boston, and Philly. That just ends up happening every single time. But we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we're going to look back. Instead of looking forward, let's look back at the, the best and worst of the Pittsburgh Penguins offseason. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. Horwat, it is a great relief that training camp has officially started. We've seen just kind of the seeds start over the past couple of weeks. Players filtering back into the city of Pittsburgh. And luckily now we're going to see 57, sorry, 58. They added a name from the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins to the, the, the practice lineup. 58 players, barring injury like Pickering and, and players like that. We're going to see a bunch of guys on the ice at UPMC Complex over the next couple of weeks. I'm very excited for it. And like as literally, it looks like, as I said, we're nine minutes away from the puck drop of camp. Uh, Penguins PR did tweet out which players are on which team, which <clears throat> sorry, which training camp team, team one, two, or three. Interesting. I, there's a lot of names to read over, so I have nothing fancy to read to you at the moment, but mm-hmm. those are out there if you wanted to go look at it. Yeah, of course. And the one thing that I will ask, and I, I can, you know, we can just move forward with it. We'll talk about the training camp stuff on Monday. We don't need to really get into that. Let's look back right now. Best and worst of the offseason, because Ron Hextall made a lot of moves. He was much more active this offseason than he was last year's offseason because that he was just getting his feet wet. He was only a couple months on the job. The, the cap situation was completely different. Now they have $1 million more in cap space. And he made a lot of moves here, Horwat. So it doesn't matter if it was a signing, if it was a trade, if it was just letting somebody go. What was the best move, in your opinion, that Ron Hextall made this offseason? The best move is probably going to be the most popular. <clears throat> and that is re-signing Chris Letang and Evgeny Malkin for another six to four years, respectively, at 
pretty team friendly AAV wise deals. Mm-hmm. I think the length of them can be called into question just because they're old. And that's absolutely totally fair. But there was a lot of, I mean, like I said before, way back whenever this was happening, I was prepping for Doomsday when it came to the Malkin <laughs> situation. Mm-hmm. We all knew that Latang was the more likely one because he's the harder position to fill. Um, but the fact that we were able to keep them both around at a pretty, like I said, team-friendly AAV-wise number, that's good to see. It is the popular answer of the best move this summer was keeping the big three around, not just for the opportunity to win, but for the fan base who wanted to see it so dearly. Mm-hmm. And now that they're all back, it's like we kind of forget it happened. We kind of forget that we almost didn't see Evgeny Malkin in uh, black and gold this year. Mm-hmm. You know, we may have seen him in Panther Red. I don't know. Ooh. I don't know. He, he's got a spot in Florida. It just makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. But who knows what would have happened? I mean, there, <clears throat> Evgeny Malkin going anywhere else in this league could have caused the biggest ripple effect, you know, and revisionist history that we're not aware of. But that is my answer for the best thing for sure is keeping those two around. If I had to pick a second, <clears throat> Ricard Raquel as well. Okay. Well, we'll get to that in a second. The one thing I did want to mention is we're obviously a lot of people are happy that Malkin, Latang are back. Probably going to finish their careers in Pittsburgh, which is a really good thing. A nice added bonus and a cherry on top to their careers, but there's still some work to be done. But it also created the best thing that we saw out of Pittsburgh Penguins media day yesterday, which was Evgeny Malkin talking about Crosby and Latang texting him after signing his contract and saying, hey, Gino, we need to go to a nice dinner. That's a lot of money you got there. Brand new contract. Time to spend it. And Gino says, Sid wants steak. Tanger wants sushi. I want McDonald's. A man after my own heart getting the Evgeny Malkin happy meal or whatever it was for that year that they did that. I love Evgeny Malkin. He's the people's people. He is. And that was one thing I can remember learning about whenever that was, uh, whenever that little meal was a thing. When Malkin came to America, it's like all he wanted. Wanted just (laughs) McDonald's. He wanted to try the Big Mac. He wanted to have an American Big Mac and indulge himself in this American culture, I guess. I don't know. That's like all he wanted when he came here at the age of like 18 or 19. Um, So the fact that he is now 35 and still discussing McDonald's is quite Mm -hmm. awesome. And also 36. My bad. He's old. Yeah. You know what the thing is, though, about and we won't get onto this tangent. The thing about America is we are such copycats that American food has to be something like McDonald's. Like, what else is it? Like ribs? Yes. Okay. Maybe like barbecue is really the American thing. But like Italian food is Italian food. And like Americans change pizza. They put pineapple on it. Yeah, it's still copycat change your homework a little bit so the teacher doesn't notice. So that's that's just kind of sad. That's like, ah, what's the American cuisine of freaking Big Mac? <laughs> uh, and you could even argue that the hamburger didn't even come from America. So uh, True. Like, exactly. So, like... Food history is very interesting. A lot of... I mean, in general, America does not have too many of their own cuisines. No, that's, that's just... That, that's the point. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, when somebody comes to America... Let's try the Big Mac. When somebody goes to, like, Spain, it's like, oh, we need to try really good Spanish food. Or Italy, oh, we need to try really good Italian. Like, the American food is, is the Big Mac. I, that's all I was saying. But a rat, a we rat Americanize always... things so much to the point of that is the American food, yeah. yeah to an rabbit, outsider's perspective, yeah. A rabbit hole we didn't need to go down. But you mentioned Ricardo Raquel. You think that's another one of the better signings? 
Yeah, aside from the length, again, I mean, the length, listen, every contract that that uh, Hextall signed, the length of all of them, we can have long. questions about. We can. Yeah. But that's not what we're here to do because since that was just across the board, we're going to knock all of those as there was a downside to each of the deals. But nope. I like Ricard Raquel coming back just because that's the one I wanted to see back. I was fully prepared. Again, I was fully prepared for Brian Russ to walk away for nothing mm-hmm. and was almost not wanting it, but was almost full, like fully ready for it. Mm-hmm. Whereas I basically did want it. Like, hey, let's utilize some cap space, find something new. Let's rearrange some stuff. Turns out Brian Rust was number one on the on the priority list mm-hmm. above yeah. the return of the main guys. So I don't hate having Brian Rust around. As a matter of fact, his contract might be the best one. It's long, but hey, you can back out at the end, which is kind of mm-hmm. nice. So a couple of things here, and I will run down my best and worst because you talked about it in that there. My worst contract is Ricard Raquel. Worst? Okay. I have, a is, I have a worst one. That is, to me, that is the worst thing that Ron Hextall did all summer long. And don't get me wrong. And don't when I say this, don't try to cancel me. Don't say I hate Ricard Raquel. I don't. The player, Ricard Raquel, I'm very excited to see what he's able to do in a full season with the Penguins. But six years for that player at five million dollars a year when he has not produced at the level that he 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 is getting paid for in several years. You can say he was with the Ducks. I don't care. You're paying him to produce. He didn't in the last couple of years. He looked great. Don't get me wrong. He looked fantastic since coming over at the trade deadline. But a six-year, $5 million per year contract, when you've only seen him score 13 points in 19 games with the Pittsburgh Penguins, it feels like a lot of people, and especially the people that are singing the praises of this deal, saying, yes, Ricard Raquel should have been higher on the priority list. Sign him earlier. Sign him before Rust. No, why would you do that? Because Ricard Raquel is basically, as of right now to me, no different than Jason Zucker was after his first little part of the season. He had a great end of the year, the year he got traded. Now he has to do better than that. And here's the thing. The Penguins didn't re-sign Jason Zucker because they got him with term left. So he's obviously heading into his last year. That's an entirely different story. But with Ricard Raquel... Not only do you sign him for $5 million, which is a little bit above market for the players of his caliber we're signing for this summer, but you sign him for six years and you tack on that modified no trade clause for all six years. Ron Hextall didn't do a poor, poor job at anything. He did. He wasn't abysmal at really anything this summer. But to me, that is the worst move he made during the summer months. That's fair enough. I, and I don't totally disagree with the things you're saying. The modified no trade clause is harsh for him. So don't get me wrong. Yeah. The length of it is harsh. But again, like I said, the length of every deal was a little harsh. Um, Here. Just here. Yeah. You know, I just want, it's long. It's very long. I just do want to see what he can do with this team for a full year. So you almost take the Raquel deal like the branded, the old branded Tandem deal. You're going to take it a year at a time and see where it goes, but it's a little harder. I don't know. I just enjoyed the deal because I pretty much wanted him back more than I wanted Brian Russ back. If you, if we only had the Raquel deal and not the Russ deal, would you still be, would you look at it the same way? No. Cause I would say they should have had Brian Russ back instead of Ricard Raquel. He's better. He's better. That's why that's the best move that they made. Prioritizing Brian Rust, a guy who has been on pace for 30 goals the past three seasons, an 82-game pace of over 30 goals, including 
a 40-goal, 82-game pace in 2019-20, a guy that can play with Sidney Crosby, a guy that has showed that he can play with Evgeny Malkin, and a guy that, once he gets a little bit older, maybe you move him to a middle six PK guy. Like, he's able to do that. If he loses his feet, he's still going to be that guy that is smart enough to go out there on the penalty kill and make really good plays. So six years at $5.12 million with great clause protection. That's the thing. Yes, you have Brian Rust for six years. He's 30. He's going to be 36 at the end of that deal. Probably not going to be anywhere near the player that he is right now. But, one, he has the ability, and you've shown it, that he's a 30-goal guy in this organization. You've seen that before. Two, he is a guy that can play power play, even strength, penalty kill. And if he gets older and he can't score the goals, he can still become that penalty kill expert. And three, the freaking clauses get me. First three years... No move. He's staying in Pittsburgh no matter what, which are going to be clearly the best three years. And then the last three, there's not a single clause. It's not modified. It's not 10-team no trade list. There is no clauses, and you can get out from under this contract fairly easily. Now, I know $5 million is, is a lot to give up on somebody, but a team is going to take that on for an aging Brian Russ because he's still going to be a guy that will put up 10 to 15 goals when he's the age of 34. And he can play that penalty kill, so... I think that is clearly, to me, the best move. And if you had to ask me at the beginning of the offseason, Brian Rust or Ricard Raquel, Brian Rust should have always been the priority. And apparently, Ron Hextall and Brian Burke agreed. Let me unmute myself. And that's totally fair. Like I said, he's the guy that's been here. He's the one that's homegrown. Mm -hmm. The one you want to see stay around for a while. Hell, I mentioned, the I, I loved the idea of him and Gensel pulling the old... Malkin, Latan, Crosby, and spending their whole careers here. Now, I don't know how ideal that is specifically, but it is now possible with this long deal set for Brian Russ to, you know, play the whole six years here and then reevaluate his career because he'll be 36. Yeah. Plenty of stuff. And reevaluate his career. His career will be over when he's 36. Do we really think that Brian Russ is going to play till he's 40? Hey, you never know. He keeps <laughs> this up. You never know. I'm just throwing things out there. But mm -hmm. it is still the idea that he could finish his career here as well. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit down the line, but you it's an option now. Okay. So with that, we haven't heard your worst move of the offseason. What do you think it is? Good Lord, the Kasperi Kapanen deal. I mean, yeah. just for how much we didn't want to see it get done, for how much, if anything, bring him back at a lower number. No, he got the same exact deal. And what a Danton Heinen, it, it only gets worse when you compare it to the Danton Heinen deal that, hey, Danton mm -hmm. Heinen played better. And got a million dollars. So I don't have to go into too much detail because I'm sure a lot of people agree and already understand the dynamics of the Kasperi Kapanen deal. Mm -hmm. He didn't play well and got a ton of money. That's just not how that works. Mm -hmm. Sure, it is a it is a bet that the that Ron Hextall and Brian Burke are making that hey he can refine his game and bring it back. Ron Hextall said very early on in the offseason that they hope to see a resurgence in Kasperi Kapanen this upcoming season. He said that long before the uh, this re-signing happened. So they knew from the from the get-go, too, it seems that they were going to bring him back. Mm -hmm. I don't think any of us were expecting the number. So mm -hmm. that's, it hurts. And now we are, what, a million over the cap because we signed Kasperi Kapanen to three million? See, no, I, they're a million over the cap because of right, it's all not of their, because like, it's Kapanen, but he's part of the issue now. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you look at that. Brock McGinn is also signed for more than what he was worth last season. But again, while that is the most recent thing that they've done, and this is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately sport, as all sports are, the Penguins paid Kasperi Kapanen based on what they think he can be. And if he is the guy that went out there the first season he came back and scored 30 points in 40 games, including 10 goals, is he not worth $3.2 million? He just, Expe- has to get, he just has to get back to that. That's all. I, I know, but here's the thing. Everybody is saying that that contract is the worst because, you know, look at what he did last season. Well, look at what Evan Rodriguez did last season. 18 goals, what, 40-some or almost 50 points, 48 points, I believe. He got paid $2 million. If we're getting paid based on what's purely last season, Evan Rodriguez should have got more from the Colorado Avalanche. And yes, Kasperi Kapanen should have gotten less. But also Dayton Heinen should have gotten more. So, I mean, you can compare them all you want. At the end of the day, $4.2 million, in my opinion, for what Heinen and Kapanen are about to bring, because I do think Kapanen bounces back, I think that is going to end up looking very good on the salary cap by the end of this season. Well, we'll have to wait and see. Exactly. That's the thing. We're early in the year. We don't know what's going to happen. At this point last year, we all expected Kapanen to be great. We expected a breakout season from Kasperi Kapanen. So we'll have to end up in... Waiting and seeing how that's all going to work out. We'll see in a couple hours here, maybe even a couple minutes, where he is slotted at the start of line rushes for the first day of camp. But nonetheless, we're going to take a quick break when we return. Final segment of the show, free skate lineups tweeted out by Taylor Haas. Looking a little interesting. A couple things to note, even though it is not really a noteworthy thing because there was no real coaches there like Sullivan. It was Hennis. There was no Sullivan. There was no Reardon. There was no Mike Bellucci. So we'll talk about that right after the break. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. Technically, our season four premiere here on TOTIB, which we have brand new graphics. We have brand new sounds. If you're listening on the podcast version, we thank you for whichever way you're tuning in. If you're on YouTube, make sure you hit the like button. Make sure you subscribe and turn on the notifications, all that fun stuff. And if you're listening to us on the podcast version, whether it be Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast from, you can find us at Tip of the Iceberg. Just make sure you follow us, subscribe to it, rate, review, all that fun stuff because we love getting your feedback and we're so excited for year four of this podcast. Almost crazy that we're there at this point. But to finish off this show, we are axing the shout outs and call outs. Not going to do that anymore. Sorry for those that enjoyed that. But the Penguins had a skate around lineup earlier this week that even though Taylor Haas of DK Pittsburgh Sports said, don't take too much into account. I'm going to do that, and we're going to do that because that's what we do. We, we make something out of nothing. We talk about stuff. We try to cover this team holistically, and when she tweets out a lineup like this, we're going to discuss it. So I'm going to pull it up for those that are watching on the video feed, and we'll talk about just some of the highlights of this lineup that we're looking at right now. And to me, the first thing that sticks out is the middle six. 
when you look at that, it's Zucker, Malkin, and Heinen as that second line de facto, and Raquel Carter Kapanen as the de facto third line. Horwat, what are your thoughts on that little mismatch and, and switch around of wingers for the second and third line? Uh, to, if I'm not reading into it, I think uh, nothing of it. But I like the idea of Zucker being bumped up with Malkin to try and boost whatever he has left in him. Mm-hmm. Whereas Heinen getting up there is kind of the idea of what people want to see. This That Malkin, Zucker, Heinen is kind of a Frankenstein of what we want versus what we might get. Mm-hmm. If that even makes sense. The want of Jason Zucker to reclaim some former glory and the might get of Heinen being up there anyway. Mm-hmm. So... I don't, I don't hate it. I think it's interesting. I think if Ricard Raquel and Kasperi Kapanen, again, a bounce back Kasperi Kapanen, are your third line wingers, that's only a positive thing. Like that that can only be a positive thing. And the only way that they are is, of course, if Zucker and Heinen are able to perform. But what I see when I see this, it's it's not really crazy. Seeing Heinen on the right wing on the second line in this is a little bit of, of a shock to me. Seeing Raquel down on the third line de facto again, this is not anything serious. This isn't Mike Sullivan's lines. Seeing that was also a little a, a little surprising. But I think when you see these guys, you're going to see this a lot this season where all four of these guys, if healthy, are going to be flipped around to see what works best because all of them can play that third role and would be really good third liners. But again, at the top of their game, they're all top six wingers, which is a good thing for the Penguins. They are all top six wingers, so it's a good problem to have that we can filter guys up and down this lineup and look to have success at each position in uh, in each role, in each mm-hmm. first line, second line, third line specifically. They can all kind of fill in wherever. Now, it's not ideal to kind of mess with chemistry in doing that, but it is good that it is a good problem to have. And if you want to keep going further, we do have a couple of lines from training camp. Uh, let's get through these ones first, and then we'll update at the very end. Of course. Uh, but yeah, but, it's it's interesting to see how it'll all work out. Mm-hmm. And, and with training camp, of course, the lines that show up and the lines that are showed up right now on the screen are not the ones that are going to stay. Again, if you want to see the full thing, it's at Taylor Haas, who covers the Penguins for DK Pittsburgh Sports. But the other thing I wanted to mention was the defensive pairings here. Pedersen and Petrie are together. We kind of all expected that to be the second pairing for the Penguins. So good to see early on that they're trying to get acquainted. But we talked about that third pairing defense early in this show. Jan Ruda playing with Ty Smith. That's something that, listen, Smith and Ruda are both new to the Penguins. So it's not like there's somebody that needs to get acquainted with somebody else like in the Pedersen-Petrie situation. These guys are both coming in on their first year with Pittsburgh. So seeing them working together and then having P.O. Joseph work with Taylor Fadoon makes it interesting as well. Now, they were on the same team, which means they could have flip-flopped and switched around mid-game. But seeing Smith and Ruta being put together early on just leans, in my opinion, to the fact that Ty Smith and Jan Ruta, again, a perfect marriage of a line, and they're getting work early even before training camp starts, which to me is an interesting little tidbit that, again, don't take too much into it. It could all change by the time. you might It might have already changed. You talked about the lineups that have kind of come out. So don't take too much into it, but I thought it was interesting that Smith and Ruta were put together in this little scrimmage. 
battling for those spots, man. Battling for those spots. And if that and maybe even building chemistry for what could be, because I expect Ruda to have that position. Mm-hmm. We didn't even talk about Ruidel, by the way, in that whole situation we did earlier in the episode. And guess what? It's quite simple. He's the eighth to seventh defenseman. Yeah, pretty much. Either, end of story. Either that or the only other thing that I could see happening, because Ruda can play both sides, is you put Ruda on the left, let Ruidel play on the right. But again, is it a shutdown pairing? Kind of. It's really just a defensive defenseman pairing. I wouldn't say it's a shutdown pairing, especially because it's it's a third pairing. But uh, there, there's a couple things you could do with Chad Ruedel. I think the Penguins should obviously keep him on their NHL roster, either as the seventh defenseman or as the sixth defenseman. But it's interesting to me that Smith and Ruder are working together early. It is interesting. That is interesting. The last thing I wanted to mention, and it goes back to, again, what we talked about at the beginning, is the fourth line. Drew O'Connor, Teddy Bluger, and Brock McGinn. Now, that also might be because they've played together on a line before. They were on a line together early last season, whenever Drew O'Connor first came up. So maybe there's nothing to take from that. But also, if Ryan Paling is expected to slot into that, you would think that he would be playing with them and not center on a separate line, which is where he was at in this lineup. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I got nothing for it. <laughs> yeah, I, was like I, said, other, I was trying to read other things because training camp is literally happening in front of me. So, um, yeah. But Ryan Paling playing center, if he's able to, you know, if he's mm-hmm. able to, that's a guy that also, man, we keep forgetting. I slot him into the penalty kill. I think that's part of the reason why they got him, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we mentioned his name when we were talking about it. I mean, if he's able to play center, there's your second line penalty kill center. Because I mm-hmm. had said, do you want a center out there to take the draws whenever you need it in the right situation? Mm-hmm. Um, and rather than big-braining the lineup of, hey, throw a center out there and immediately pull him off for another winger. Well, if Ryan Paley can take draws and play center, he's your guy there. Mm-hmm. So slot him in. Like we said, changes could come as early as this afternoon. You have the lineup in front of you. Are there any massive changes to what I just said? I mean, it's not necessarily the whole lineup, and I have to find it again. Um, but it is just one, two, three lines, I believe. Yeah, three forward lines that were tweeted out by Taylor Haas. Again, you have to figure. I didn't even think of dissecting, which because we, I mean, we've been recording this whole time, so I haven't had time to really. But the lines that you just read to us versus the team lineups here, mm-hmm. there's but, three different. Uh, yeah. But according to this group one, the forward units go Crosby, Gensel, Pustinen. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Interesting. Paling is still playing center and taking draws, it looks like, with Raquel and O'Connor. Mm-hmm. And then Poulin, Heinen, and Devane. I forget his first name now. Is it Jamie Devane? I don't know. I, I don't know what his name is, but that that's an, if that's team one, put my money down on team one in these inter-squad scrimmages because... I mean, Crosby, Gensel, Pustinen. I hope they do that tomorrow because I would like to see that in person. Just just to be honest, I'd love to see that in person. And yeah, like the biggest thing you mentioned there, Ryan Paling is getting a lot of time at center. So it's something we're going to have to look out for. That's a very early indicator. Maybe something to write a story on at InsideThePenguins.com. But that's going to do it for this episode. Horwat, do you have anything coming out or did you just put anything out on Inside the Penguins that you want to promote here? Uh, I did nothing yesterday because I was just, I've been working both all three of my jobs really uh, every day. I just needed a debriefing day and only work two jobs in a day. So I did nothing yesterday. I don't know what I have coming out yet now though. <laughs> 
Fair enough. For me, I don't have anything coming out right now. Of course, we're both going to be at Pittsburgh Penguins training camp tomorrow, so make sure you follow us at Nick underscore Berlansky and at Nick Horwat 41 Also, at Iceberg Podcast, we will have pictures, hopefully some videos, some lines. We'll have all that stuff over the next couple of days. But as far as something that you want to read right now, if you're scratching the itch, we talked about a little in the first segment, training camp battles. There's a couple more that I wrote about at InsideThePenguins.com, the top five training camp battles to watch for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Go check that out and check this out. Our new setup on YouTube, new graphics situation. I love it. I'm ready for season four. It's going to be a great year in 2022-23 for the Pittsburgh Penguins and for the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. But that's going to do it for this one. We will see you guys next week with some interesting responses to the Sunday games against the Columbus Blue Jackets. We'll see you next week. Have a great weekend, Pence fans. We'll